This is the All for the Gators podcast. Nothing but Gator greats. Where your hosts bleed orange and blue. And now, your Gator alumni hosts, John, Andy, and Sid. Hey guys, we're live. Here we are. Yes. (laughs) Sid, we got you? I am here. Great to be back. The All for the Gators podcast, we are back again. I would think it would be remiss if we didn't congratulate the newest Super Bowl champions from the Gators, Tommy Townsend, Kadarius Toney, Carlos Dunlap, and LaMichael Pirine. I didn't even know Pirine was on the team. Yeah, it was seven Gators in the Super Bowl. Well, Carlos Dunlap's been playing in the league for a long time, was on some bad Cincinnati teams, so I'm happy for him uh, you know, towards the end of his career, and, and still a rotational player on a very good defense that yep. he got his ring, so that's pretty awesome. Good for him. Tony broke the record for a punt return. Yeah, he had the one touchdown, but he had that crazy punt return. Right. Not on the return. Not on the return. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Okay. Yes. Okay. It was like a, yes. uh, a swing pass or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. It feels like so long ago. It does. I know. What's going on now is the NFL Combine, a bunch of Gators out there performing, and of course, none better than Anthony Richardson. Are you guys surprised by his performance at the Combine? Not really. There's no defense. <laughs> well, that's true. But I mean, they're saying that it was the best Combine performance statistically by a quarterback of all time. Well, I mean, I think that's why he went pro, right? He's he's a freak athlete, and that's all the intangibles that people are grading him on put him as a first-round pick just because of his his potential, right, and his size and strength. So, yeah, no, I'm not surprised to see him doing well. Well, I did a deep dive, and I found some really remarkably interesting things about our friend Anthony Richardson. As we know, a Gator quarterback. But did you know, at six foot four and a half inches, Richardson is actually taller than all-pro tight end George Kittle of the San Francisco 49ers. He is also at 244 pounds heavier than all-pro Philadelphia Eagles linebacker Hassan Reddick. And his hand measures 10 and a half inches. That's larger than all-pro um, DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver. Wow. And I know, I and mean, this sounds like one of those dogs that we're putting together of the perfect athlete. He, he's doing this. The ultimate dog at quarterback for the NFL. Yes, <laughs> but I have more. It, it, it gets better. Richardson's 40 and a half inch vertical is higher than all pro receiver Devontae Adams, of the, now of the Vegas Raiders. Andy, you're familiar with his work, right? Sounds familiar. And, well, that's what he, yeah. he's five foot five, though. <laughs> oh, there is a difference no, there. I'm kidding. I don't know what he is. <laughs> oh. Well, okay, Here, here's a, rec- a receiver that we do know is tall, though. My last tidbit for you. Richardson's 10-foot-9 broad jump is longer than that of free agent and one-time superstar wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. Wow. That is <laughs> some dog of a draft pick there that somebody's going to use a way-too-high pick on him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. My next question, my follow-up question was going to be, and – there's a lot of different perspectives on this from Gator fans. If you listen to uh, sports radio and check out Gator groups online, does it get you angry that he's doing so well and now they're projecting him to get drafted so high? As a Gator fan, does that does that bother you at all? I wouldn't say it bothers me because I'm always happy to see a Gator being successful and that sort of success breeds future success because if you know that quarterback is a top pick, then future quarterbacks want to follow. But of course, we would have loved to have seen more of that on the field, but that's part of what was so maddeningly frustrating about him. We saw how talented he was. 
he could drop a perfect pass over the shoulder, deep 50 yards down the field, but then there was a running back open in the flat and he's going to bounce it to him five yards away. It's kind of frustrating. I, mean, I, I think he had like under 60% completion percentage. So you look at the intangibles and the draft experts see all the things he can do, but Gator fans like us who watched him play game to game know that there's more to the puzzle than that. So I think any team that's going to draft him and expect him to be an impact as a rookie might be disappointed. But if he could get drafted by a team, maybe sit for a year or two, um, then, you know, put in a better position. He definitely has the tools to eventually be a hell of a player. Yeah, we definitely saw flashes right here and there. For sure. Yeah. Well, let's end with this, this conversation. Widely regarded as the greatest combine performance ever. Tell me who it was. Don't Google it. Oh, I got it. The the defensive lineman drafted by the Eagles way too high out of Boston College. I, it's, it was like Mamalua or something like that. Alliteration was like Mark Malua or something like that. No, he is up there in the top 10, but it's okay. not him. It's, it's a well-known player. Well-known. Andy, you got a guess? Quarterback? Nope. Hmm. Just any player at the combine. Deion Sanders. Close. Very close. And by close, I mean... Positionally correct. Two-sport player. <laughs> oh, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson! <laughs> Bo Jackson ran the 40 in 4.12. Bo knows combines. <laughs> At his combine. He probably had just played a baseball game before it. <laughs> wow. That is ridiculous. <laughs> he, he was ridiculous. Tecmo Bull does not lie. <laughs> it undervalued him, in fact, right? Yeah. <laughs> I imagine our current guest could tell us a little bit about their experience at the Combine. Who you got for us this week? Oh, man. Today's Gator Great was another to don the illustrious number one. Born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, where at Winton Woods High School, he would not only become an All-American on the field, but earned academic All-American achievement by a senior year in 1993 as well. To say schools wanted him was an understatement. Over 160 colleges came calling for this guy. He chose to come down to UF and as a Gator would dominate first on special teams, then as a bruising DB, and by his senior year was voted team captain by his teammates. He would cap off that year earning first team all SEC stripes. One of his eight career interceptions is widely regarded as one of the most electrifying plays ever in the swamp. Ladies and gentlemen, Gator Nation, I present to you two-time SEC champ, 1996 national champion, Houston, Antonio George Jr., Tony George. Yeah, that's quite the introduction right there. That's hard to follow up after that. That's what you get here on Off of the Gators podcast, my friend. I love it. I love it. Yes, sir. Man, thank you for taking the time today, Tony, to do the show. We really appreciate well, listen, it. Thank you guys for having me, man. This is, this is such an honor and a privilege to get back to uh, talk with our our Gator fans and, and Gator alum around the world. And um, it's, it's good to let give updates on the greatness that's happening in our lives and in our world. That's right. Let's take it back to Southwest Ohio. Okay. You had some real life stuff to deal with growing up. You had a younger sister of yours had cerebral palsy. And uh, my mother had a younger brother that also had cerebral palsy and she lost him early on. And I know that affected her. How did you use that as inspiration, even coming up with the celebration, the big man walk after a big special teams play? Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. I mean, um, this was something that it was, it was a kinship that was developed when she was born. I think um, I was able to go and see her when she was in uh, actually in the incubator. And, um, you know, I know that the doctor took her out and, she immediately, she gave a big wave to me. I knew that was a connection immediately. 
And um, from that from that point on, it was just like I knew I had to protect her no matter what. Whatever I had to do, what was going on in my life and in the world, uh, even to that point, it's even to like that today. Um, I'm very still protective of her, even though she has a husband. But I'm I'm still I'm still big brother to her, you know, and uh, whatever I could do to help. But I tell you what, growing up, I got a lot of bruised knuckles from having to defend uh, what people didn't know and understand. <laughs> but uh, it, it helped me to develop to get them to understand. Let's let's take a step back and look at how she has to deal with her life. Uh, have you tried to tie your shoe with one hand or one side of your body? Have you tried to ride your bike um, with one side of your body, using one side of your body? And, you know, when you're kids, you don't understand that until you actually try it. And um, at that point, when they realized that a lot of the guys growing up, they ended up adopting her as the little, the honorary little sister for all of us, you know. Mm. So when I wasn't there, they would protect her, you know, and they would do everything to make sure that everybody knew, oh, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bother her. We're not going to tease her. We're not going to do those things. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna protect her like she's our sister, and uh, <laughs> she just became the neighborhood little sister. Not to mention, she was quite the firecracker with her mouth as well. So <laughs> <laughs> she didn't let she didn't let any she didn't let any wooden nickels pass her. So she was still pretty good at getting her point across and getting things done. But uh, you know, it's it's a genuine love that that lasts until today. You yourself were diagnosed with uh, being a type one diabetic your sophomore year in high school. And that's where you get the insulin injections and uh, and everything. And I'm sure yeah. by now you've learned how to deal with that. But how were you able to deal with that at such a young age and keep focus on the football field and in the classroom, becoming an academic All American at Winston Woods High? Well, I tell you, it was um, it was something that uh, that my mother and father instilled in in, in me in understanding that there are going to be turbulent times in your life. Um, I have a very very uh, spiritual mom and dad that um, that that taught me the ropes and understanding that um, nothing in life is going to be fair. But you know, if if you can learn how to make things manageable, you can make things possible. And um, my mom and dad did a great job of helping me to understand that with with diabetes. Um, my mom would wake up at five o'clock in the morning, and she would make sure that I was eating the right things. That I had the proper meal before I went to school. Uh, we had to be in school at 710 and here she was up at, at you know, five o'clock every morning, making sure that I got my, my dose of insulin, which took about 30 minutes to kick in. But my mom was making sure that that whatever I was doing, it was set off of that regimen of getting that shot. And um, I remember one morning she she gave me a uh, gave me a shot and she she poked me a little too hard in my leg. <laughs> And um, it caused a little bit of bleeding. I said, you know what? It's time for me to do this for myself. And, uh, you know, I had to learn uh, based off because I was I was honestly scared to give myself shots. And I was like, well, if I'm going to live, I'm going to do this by myself. I got to I got to take the bull by the horns right now. So after that instance, my mom never had to wake up again, although she did. She was up every morning making sure that I ate the right things and did the right things and didn't have sugar in my system in any way shape or form other than fruit um that was that was my mom that's what she did for me and and my dad made sure that uh he went out and worked till the cows came home and then um he made sure that with his job at Procter and gamble we were able to go out and get that insulin and do things that we were supposed to do so 
uh, I was I was nurtured and cultured to do the right thing at all times, and uh, I was thankful that my mom and dad was able to provide that for me, considering um, I had uh, you know two other brothers and three sisters, so we were able to get it done, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, it's great to have that kind of support. Um, so going back to that intro, did, did we hear John Wright? Over 160 colleges recruited you. That is correct. Uh, I even had some Ivy League schools in there. That's crazy, right? That is crazy. <laughs> How many visits did you make? And, and kind of who were the last the last ones kind of in the running before you ultimately picked UF? To be honest, I did my three. I did three visits, and it was kind of like I already knew what I was going to do. But it wasn't until I actually saw um, I, I saw Coach Zook when he came and sat down in our living room. He said, "Yeah, you, you, you know, you're pretty good. You're probably, you know, you're probably gonna have the red shirt. You're probably not as good." I said, "Wait, what?" <laughs> he said, you're, "You're probably not as good as these guys right here. But if you work, you'll have a chance to get out on a." I said, "A chance." I said, "Okay." So in my head, I'm thinking that's a challenge. Um, everybody else was giving me the spots. Um, I was down to Florida, uh, University of Tennessee. Ugh. <laughs> and Michigan and, and Michigan State. Um, to be honest with you, Michigan, uh, Tennessee, Tennessee put out such a great spread with Coach Fulmer and Kippy Brown and, and Lovey Smith. They were fighting on what position I wanted to, they, that they wanted me to play. They wanted some wanted me to play. Uh, well, at that time it was Kippy Brown on offense. He wanted me to play wide receiver, and it was Lovey Smith on defense. And he's like, "Well, no, he's our he's our star defensive back. He's going to play." And then Coach Palmer said, I don't see a problem with him playing both. And I was like, oh, that's enticing. That's <laughs> enticing. So when it was time to go and I, uh, uh, it was time to, like, commit and, and sign your, your, your scholarship, uh, the University of Tennessee called us. I said, well, you're probably going to see me uh, in your stadium. So they were all excited, jumping around, saying, yeah, we think we got Tony George. He's going to be locked in. And then I put on the Florida Gator cap. <laughs> I, was like, I, was like, I was like, yeah, you're going to see me in your stadium, but I'm going to be wrecking it. <laughs> you know, but that was that was probably one of my best moments ever um, that I that I could think back of. But I re, I remember that vividly because I, I remember how how great it was. And then we had George Perlis at Michigan State. I mean, everybody was phenomenal with me. I'd had Lou Holtz that visited my home. And he was he was arguing with Johnny Majors at at Pitt, and they were arguing over who can have the most time to get and split with me because they were just showing up at the house then, and, and um, they were calling, couldn't get all the way through, so they was leaving recorded messages saying, "Hey, we're gonna spend fifteen minutes with your mom, we're gonna spend thirty minutes with your mom and dad." And my mom and dad, they were like a they were like a wine factory. They they had to keep the wine stopped because they never knew who was coming through. For what reason? <laughs> so it was it was pretty crazy that my mom and dad was able to entertain all all the coaches that came through, and um, when they when those guys left, they knew that I was going to make the right decision. Well, we're glad you did decide to come to Gainesville, and you get there in '94 and are redshirted. Um, yeah. And when you were playing on the scout team, then I imagine uh, what are some of your mm-hmm. memories when you first came through? Some some of uh, other friends of the show talked about the importance of the scout team and how that experience really prepared them as they went further along in their career. How do you remember that time? It was the most unbelievable experience that I ever gone through. I think um, after you after you watch the guys and they they're out there on on in, underneath the lights and and underneath eighty five thousand at that time ninety some thousand now we're. We're, we're we're in such awe 
of wanting to experience that as a redshirt freshman. So Coach Spurrier did a great job of having something called Monday Night Football. And he put the lights on for us. It was nighttime practice on Monday night, and he let the young guys go at it. And I can distinctly remember they had the Tyrone Baker, the touchdown maker, uh, <laughs> playing running back. Man, my goodness, he's still one of my best friends to this day. Um, and they had him playing running back, and he, they put him out on a sweep. And my goodness, they had me out there cornerback, and my I don't think he I don't, I don't think he saw me. And I know he didn't see me because he ended up getting six broken ribs from me. Oh, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was one of those hits that ended practice. So <laughs> that was that was my most that was my most memorable uh, Monday night football experience. But I can tell you that scout team they did such a phenomenal job of preparing us and giving guys what we call the the game time experience and opportunity, even if you had never experienced it. I mean, these were guys that were maybe third or fourth and redshirt freshmen and things of that nature, fourth string, third string. These are guys that are getting an opportunity to be seen to to possibly move up for the game that next week. So um, a lot of that time, I remember that first year, because that was my first year that I redshirted, I remember Larry Kennedy getting hurt and Coach Berry said, I think you're ready to come out of your shirt right now. And it was against Georgia. I said, Coach, if you need me, I'm ready. And I was so excited. But Coach Burris like, you know, I don't want to race the whole year on him just off of this one game. And, and uh, um, you know, it was it was just one of those 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 euphoric moments that you'll never forget because Coach Spurrier felt comfortable enough to be able to say, I think you're ready. I've seen you work. Let's go do this. And it made me feel that that built my confidence for the offseason to go into the offseason. And I, I, when I tell you I went to work after that, I, I literally – I was looking, looking for 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 the weights at every hour of the day, trying to find it to make it happen. So you had some of the toughest DBs ahead of you. I mean, they were just built different back then, and the pads yeah. were different. <laughs> Lawrence Wright, Fred Weary, nothing against yeah. Reggie Nelson or Major Wright. Those guys were tough too, but back then yeah. they were built yeah. different. And did we they were just built different? Did yeah. they take you I under mean, their wing at all, or was it pretty much learned by hard knocks with those guys? That, thousand percent under their wings every last one of them uh, i mean I, i'm gonna go through the list of all of them because they all deserve such such great credit and and making me even who i am today um you're talking about uh you know you're talking about the larry kennedys and the mike gilmores and you're talking about the sammy mccorkles um you're talking about obviously the lawrence Wrights of the world and the anthon lots and the fred wearies and um, the Shea Showers of the world, the Demetric Jackson, the Mike Harrises. Man, when I tell you these guys just had it in them, it was amazing. And let me not forget Elijah Williams, who was my that was that dude was like my calm and peace. He played running back for, for three, four years before he moved over to defensive back. Man, that that dude, like I've never seen I never seen this guy like so much worry, sweat, yell. <laughs> he was just like Okay, we got this. Let's do it. And I'm like, dude, how you do that? <laughs> you know, like I'm like, how are you doing this? Like, and he just he just came with such a, a patience and a calm. And I mean, you know, Showtime Fred Weary, Tico Brown, my God, <laughs> man, let me not forget my man Tico. Hey, I got to put it out there for nine quad. Tico came in with me, man. Tico was already mentioned 225 pounds before he came in. I was a, I was 160. 160 pounds coming in soaking wet. I'm sitting there looking at Tico like, man, you could do that? 
Oh my God. I'm over here struggling with 25s on the side over here because I never lifted a weight. <laughs> He's over there doing 245 pound plates. But I can tell you, man, it was it was great to have playmakers and all of us wanted to see each other make it. Every last one of us. And if if you weren't making it, we push it until you made it. And that's what I loved about what it is and how they how they came about with us, man. It it was it was just a pure love and a straight camaraderie. It was a brotherhood even to this day. If we could see each other right now, we'll all probably pick up exactly where we left off in college. And that's that's exactly the way we want it for each other. Let's take it to 1995. Uh, that's your redshirt freshman season. Yes. You don't get in much on D, but you become a special teams beast. Yes. That season you have, and I, I looked, I mean, I was searching on the internet, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and I couldn't find anywhere any kind of special teams tackles record. Yeah. But most of the time, a player leads the special teams tackles with about 20, 25. In yeah. 95, you led the team with 34 special teams tackles. Yeah. That must have been an SEC Whoa. record or at least a UF record, I would think. <laughs> is it? And looking back, how special is that to you? Without a doubt. I think um, with, with me, I, I, I say we're, we're the first player defense or the first player offense, and, you, and somebody has to make the play. And I said, I feel like I got to be that person to make the play. Of course, I'm wearing the number one. And I'm like, look, I set the tempo. Everybody's going to follow my lead. Nothing comes unless it starts with number one. So that was my thinking, <laughs> you know. So I made sure that if that ball was kicked, like I was tackling guys on the four-yard line after running down the field and tackling them on the four-yard line, <laughs> even after they're trying to get blocked. And they said, how did you get down there so fast? It was just something in me that just said, do this for Zook. <laughs> Because Ron Zook was my dude. That was the guy that recruited me. He was everything. It was like, run, if Ron said run through the wall, man, I'm running through three of them. And it was that was just the way that it was. It was just like he put so much fire in me as a, as a young player because he believed in me. And then when everybody else used to jump down my throat, he'll put me to the side and say, yeah, just keep doing it exactly the same way, just like that. But this time, hit him in the throat, hit him in the throat. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. <laughs> you know? And, and that, was, that was Zook. He... He never he he always corrected the mistake, but he never saw a flaw in you. He always saw a strength in you and said, "That's great. Use that. Now put it in there, though. You know, step on the step on their knuckles. You know, like <laughs> it was it was it was football at its finest. You know, and it was guys like him. Like, I mean, we had you know him, uh, Coach Sanders, uh, Coach Collins. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It was we we had some we had some coaches that were ruthless and don't let me get on with, with, with stoops it took me having a i had to battle with stoops before we we had to, we had really gotten into it but it was great coaching all the way around where the, the coaches understood their roles and they understood the talent of the guys that they had and they made sure that that talent was displayed so you mentioned the number one i got real quick uh we've had a couple others on that have worn that number is what is there a story there for you uh with the number one yeah did you ask for it I think I, I actually I didn't ask for it. I, what I did was I said, you know what? I went in there. I said, you know, I, I told Spurry. I said, you know what? Let me let me get the number one. Who got that? And I said, well, they like well Jack was wearing it, but nobody else said that they were gonna get it. I said, give me number one. <clears throat> and they said, okay. And they kind of just gave it to me. Uh, Tim Sane. I remember Tim Sane looking at me. He said, he said you're gonna do this number great. I always remember what Tim Tim Sane saying that. So you're gonna do this number great. And Sure enough, man, it was like the minute I put it on, I felt like I became I became a superhero. 
And it was like everything started with me. That means I'm running out the tunnel first. I'm coming out. I'm doing the big man walk. I, I led. The tempo was set off of me coming out with that with that number one on my chest. And the thing that I, I it, it, it's so many that had gone before me. I mean, you're talking about the, I believe it was the, was it uh, Jack Jackson, and then before him, I believe was it Dale Spear. I think now Dale Spear number two, I believe. But it was, it was, it was guys that were before us that that we saw that was so that that was so great to us, and we were like, man, that what we have to live up to? Oh wow, that's a, that's an honor and a privilege to be able to wear that. Nobody was more electric than Jack Jackson coming and catching that ball and shaking his chest. You know, <laughs> that 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 was right. enough for me. Uh, he played offense, and I'm like, Dad, I got to be the Jack Jack on the defense. There you go. So that was, for me, that was like, I'm going to be Mr. Electric. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to do the big man walk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all this together, and I'm going to give him the business. I didn't know about the big man walk. It, you know, I didn't know I was going to create that. It just happened. You know, I just did it for my sister. She, she's like, I saw you do this crazy walk. I said, okay, well, she's like, what, what, what should we name it? I said, we'll call it the big man walk. I said, we overcome everything. Done. That was it. It was a wrap. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that number one just came to me. It was like it, I was drawn to it. It wasn't It wasn't something I was going to pick. In fact, I, if I was going to get my high school number, it would have been number eight. But then me and the feast probably would have been fighting over there at Korea. <laughs> so I said, you know what? They let the wide receivers have any number that they want first. So <laughs> I said, let me go ahead and get this number one. You definitely wore it well. Um, and obviously a lot of success there. Um, you mentioned some coaches that you worked with um, who went on to be head coaches, Zook yeah. and Stoops. And we love to hear a lot of great feedback from friends of the show who talk about their experience with Zook. But um, yeah. obviously you win the SEC championship in 95 and that's like the heart of the fun and gun era. And that's all we remember very fondly, the offense. But yeah. it seems like there were some great defenses there that are kind of overlooked. I mean, yeah. obviously you being a big part of that. Do you feel like you guys didn't really get enough respect because of the the you know celebrations of the fun and gun i think it's fair i mean i think with what they were putting out there at that time we were the we were we were the fun and gun the the fun and gun offense so everything was revolving around coach Spurrier and and the wide receivers and the quarterback with danny and you know with with doug and and everybody else even terry dean when he was there everything evolved around the offense now we start playing well on defense and our biggest our biggest competition was never at the game that was the easy part our biggest competition was at practice and it was it got to the point where it used to get so heated we had to practice separate with from the defense and the offense because the coach Sperry would get into it with coach Stoop. that's how heated it got like it was it was intense intense and they weren't talking to each other and we out there like, man, what, what happened? What we do? We like, and Coach Stoops like, well, nothing. You guys just keep shutting them down. Keep shutting them down. He got this strong, raspy voice. Oh, my goodness. And he was just, you just keep shutting them down. They're not going to catch a dang ball over here. And, and you know what I'm saying? Dang. <laughs> and and, and Brad's like, all right, let's go. We got, we got something for that. Yeah, okay. You, got, you two guys don't even go to Double post. We'll see you got this right now. We got something for you right now, T. George. All right, well, bring it on, coach. <laughs> but it was it was the greatest atmosphere for football because we knew when we went out there underneath one of the smartest 
defensive coordinators that I've ever played with, both college pros, high school, and probably the smartest offensive genius that I could think of at Coach Spurrier, man, it was every day in practice, your A game was required. Like, you weren't going to get a day off. Like, you had to go. You're talking about Chris Dorn, Aubrey Hill, Jaquez Green, Riddell Anthony, Ike Hilliard, the Feast Kareem, Travis McGriff, Jack Jackson the first year. Man, like, and all of those guys had to line up and run past me, and every last one of those guys beat me. And then Coach said, you sure you're All-American? <laughs> I was like, man, look, I, look, I had to get in the weight room. <laughs> all, every, every name that I just named off ran a fade on me and beat me. And I remember Larry Kennedy coming over to me. He said, here, I'm going to show you this. Get this thing over here. Larry Kennedy kind of molded me to say, Ain't none of those guys going to ever be me. I don't care how fast they think they are, but I got the technique. Man, just watching Larry Kennedy's feet, his technique, and, and watching his confidence, like, it was just, ugh. I was like, I said, I got to have that. And I was like, can you teach me that? And sure enough, he passed the torch on to me. And he was like, look, let's keep going. We're going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep showing this. I'm going to keep here, shade half of the body. Don't shade the whole body. Get, just get that, Just get half of the body. And look at that up, that front foot. The foot that's up. He ain't going to play with that foot that's up. It's going to be the back foot. That's gonna, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I started learning things, and it was just like he made the game easier for me. Um, but all of that being said, man, it was it was a game at every practice every day, and there was no there was no let up. And that's why you saw all that greatness able to come about every Saturday because the practices during the week did it all for us. Well, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of members of that 95 team on the show. A lot of the guys, you know, you just mentioned, we've, we've been able to get on. And, and there was kind of, there's always been a common theme with that group about getting beat oh, pretty bad yes. by Nebraska in that Fiesta Bowl. Uh-huh. And then, mm-hmm. but the effect that had on the program there that year and how that offseason was, what I'll say, quote unquote, different. It was a different offseason. Um, Beyond. What's your kind of perspective on that? As you were a young and up-and-comer at that point, kind of how, how was that off-season, and how did your routine or mindset change? The whole off-season was built on wanting to see Nebraska again. The whole off-season. Like, I wanted nothing more. I, I, I was probably only a few guys that was able to block somebody <laughs> or, 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 or the special teams, but it was like Nebraska's whole team ran a – it was like their whole kickoff team ran a 4-3. It was the most unbelievable thing I had ever seen in my life. And they literally plowed through our front line. And I'm, I'm in the second second row, and I'm able to catch my guy, take him and drive him to the ground. But it was still very hard. And I'm like, yeah, how did that – I said, no, nobody's blocking? What's going on? Hmm. And it was – that whole offseason, though, we remembered those moments because all we could think about – was how much we were disrespectful to them. They didn't say not one word to us. This one I knew that we was in trouble. They didn't say one word to us. We were running through their drills. We were yelling, let's go, we about to kill you. Man, those guys, they were still stretching while we were running through their drills and looking at us like, man, we about to beat the brakes off of y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, look, I was, I was a little intimidated. They didn't nobody say no words, chirp back, nobody said anything. Normally I could go back and forth with the DBs. Uh, the Booker boys, I believe, was was there. Mike Mentor, uh, they, Terrell Farley. Nobody said a word. 
They just looked at us and laughed. Lawrence Phillips was the only person that was looking at us laughing. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> wait, why is he laughing at us? <laughs> like, <laughs> and he's got his helmet, one chin, both uh, the bottom chin straps are unbuttoned, and he's walking around clapping, talking to himself. And it was like, LP! And LP's like, okay, cool. And it was, it was like, it was just like poetry in motion watching him run. And he just, he just made it look so smooth, so easy. And he would laugh. Like, I, re- I remember being out there on the field on defense. <laughs> and he, he had a play. And he ran the ball. And I believe, I believe I ran into him. And I think Fred Weary ran into him. And we was like, yeah, good job. I said, good job, right? And he looked up, he laughed. He's like, <laughs> And he laughed at us, <laughs> and he said, "He's like, man, he's like, my grandma hit harder than that." Oh, like, oh no! I'm like, oh my god, we in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I distinctly remember the next play. I think we ended up going back to the starting offense, and then Coach Pruitt was trying to sub guys in. I said, I don't want any parts of that. <laughs> I literally said, I don't, I don't want any parts of that. I don't want to deal with. None of that, no sir. I'll see you next year. <laughs> uh, I was a hey, it, it was intimidating. So that whole off season was built on that and that that those fractions of intimidation right there. And it was like I wanted to see them again. I didn't care who I saw from Nebraska. I don't care Scott Frost. I don't. I want to see all of y'all, whoever it is. You're not gonna be bigger than me. You're not gonna be stronger than me. You're not gonna be faster than me. I had that mindset built in that offseason, but it took that butt kicking for us to get to that point because we were 13-0, and 0, I believe, or 12-0 and 0 going into to that game. And um, it, we thought that we couldn't be stopped. We thought that we were the bee's knees. And it took that butt kicking for to remind us that this offseason is going to be different. We're going to work. We're going to have this. I don't think I like I don't I don't I don't remember missing a six o'clock run ever. <laughs> I was there at six o'clock and then I go right back out there again at four. I was I wasn't missing. I was out there for two two days in the off season. So let's go. Let's get it. <laughs> but yeah, we were not gonna be denied that next year at all. All right, so let's move on to nineteen ninety six. And again you lead the team in special teams tackles. <laughs> but once again, not much on defense. Now back in those days, that's sort of how it was a lot of the time. You would you know, you'd be behind somebody for a couple of years and then you'd get your shot in year three and four. Yeah. Is that the situation you were in and just being patient? Or were you actually getting frustrated at all? No, no, no. I was actually I was actually enjoying it because I already I, I knew that I wasn't gonna be the tempo setter no matter what went on. T. George, we need you to make this tackle. Okay, cool. I got you. You know, like I knew that I, my role was just as important as a guy out there on the defense, you know, and not to mention I was able to, to get in on the nickel packages and the dime packages and things of that nature and, you know, still able to get in there and get my feet wet a little bit and and, and still be a leader out there on, on the special team. For me, I was not going to allow uh, special teams – to to be anything less than great. And I, I, I believe that after that first year for me, after after going all of that and getting to Nebraska and making plays out there, even after we after us getting stumped, I made those plays on special teams. I said, this has to carry over. 
And I said, I know I'll get out on the field. I ain't worried about getting out on the field. I know I can get out there. I said, but I said, but I want to be on these special teams. And it set the tempo for other guys. It was the, you know, I had a few times where I had Javon Curse out there. And I had some other names that was out there with, with Jay Rutt and all these young, these, these guns, these studs. And they like, these guys are starters. These guys are out there. But they would come out there because you brought a, brought a different type of energy. And I go, all right, man, let's go. Let's set this wall up. Let's, let's go. You know, that was the energy that we brought to each other, you know. And I, I think that special teams brought that out, um, especially for me. And there was no frustration involved with me at all. And But when I knew when it was time for me to get on the field, it was going to be the right time. But at that time, I was needed at special teams. Um, again, 96, you take the SEC championship after going 10-1 and one on the regular season. Uh, and, of course, January 2nd, Sugar Bowl, New Orleans, Louisiana Superdome yes. against FSU. How do you describe the feeling you had walking out of that tunnel that night? It was um, it was probably the, the highest-ranking feeling that I've had playing any type of sport. It was, it was the most electric because I, I, I knew – we we had to have all the chips fall the right way in order for us to see Florida State again. So what we were doing is we were trying we, – we, we did everything that we was like, you know what, and I, I remember making this – I said, the only thing I want for Christmas is to see Florida State again. <laughs> and because I, that, was, that was the only thing I wanted for Christmas. <clears throat> and and I, I'm sitting there making all these prayers and all these premonitions and things of that nature. And lo and behold, I look up at the Ohio State game and we saw, saw the Texas game, and I'm like, huh. This might actually work, and I remember all of us being in the in the daggone uh, hotel room, and Coach Perry had moved us all the way from down in New Orleans. He moved us out to, uh, I believe, it's La, La Meridian, I believe, and we we were away from everybody, but we knew that we were playing for the championship after we saw that game, and it was it was like the energy. Everybody knew when we were eating, we were looking at each other, and it was just like the nods of approval while we were eating. Like, yeah, we 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 about to do this. We gonna we, we gonna we gonna represent this time. And this was the first time Spurrier used that shotgun or on, on those speed rushers, and they didn't have any clue how to how to get to Danny because the first game we were up underneath the center, and it was it was havoc. But now. With the defense that we had, and what we man, we were so hungry out there. I mean, I'm talking about every guy was running around. Lawrence Wright is out there hyperventilating, <laughs> and, and he's still knocking guys' heads off. And you know, we had Jay Rudd out there making plays. It it was just every guy was out there doing their job. Mike P. Oh man, Mike P. was out there killing them that guy. It 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 was so good to see all of us come together in that moment because it wasn't one person that was so great. Uh, okay, other than Ike Hillier, Ike was just phenomenal. But <laughs> Ike was the room, he's my roommate. But Ike, Ike just set the mode. Ike, Ike was everybody bottled up in one. <laughs> That's what Ike was. And he was putting on the show. And it caught on because Jaquez was catching balls. Riedel was catching balls. Now, Feast was catching – everybody started catching balls. It was just like, man, throw it out there. We're going to go get it. We're going to beat these guys. We're going to drag them. Their defensive backs kept looking back over at us, and we was talking trash on the sidelines with them. We kept talking. He's like, man, he's like, I don't know what y'all on. <laughs> you know? He's like, y'all on something today because y'all, y'all didn't break it like this the last time. 
And I was like, yeah, we're going to break it like this all night. So I'm a, I'm a trash talker. So I'm I'm going to take them out their game as much as I can. But, uh, you know, I loved it, man. It was that that was probably the, the most euphoric feeling coming out that tunnel. But it wasn't until the end that everything let go. I mean, it was it was so it was so many tears of joy winning the national championship. Nobody we we didn't know what that feeling was like. And then we, we felt it and it was like, ah, oh, this is the best feeling ever. Don't let it leave. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit more about that. We've asked a few guys about the celebrations there in the Big Easy after that big win. Let's put a little different twist on that. If you guys had today's technology, who would be the first ones getting in trouble on social media? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Yours truly. <laughs> Yours truly. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to say it was, it was, we, had, we had some characters. We had, uh, let's see, Jamie Richardson, wide receiver, definitely would have got in trouble. Uh, Eugene McCaslin, definitely would have got in trouble. Oh. Gino Mack, we call him Gino Mack. Uh, who else would have got it? Uh Redell Anthony. Oh my God. Freakle? Uh, oh my goodness. Uh, Freakle would have had a whole show lined up, man. I guarantee you, Freakle would have had it lined up. We uh we had Redell on and he he pleaded the fifth on that. <laughs> I, I can see why. <laughs> oh man, we we've had oh man, it it, it might have would have been a uh let me see, Pat Lowe, Patrick Lowe. Uh, P. Lowe, that yeah, definitely would have had him. I also want to get big Keith Council in there, give him some glory. Oh, and you know, God bless the dead, but my man, Big Mo Collins. Oh, Big Mo would have put on a show for you. <laughs> big Mo would have, Big Mo would have had cigars for everybody. <laughs> Come on, y'all, let's let's go. That's my that's my guy right there, though. But he, Big Mo would have set the tempo for everybody with that with social media. Oh man. <laughs> It would have been hard to follow any act from those, from those guys right there. <laughs> After the big year in 96, now we're to 97, your redshirt junior year. Now you're playing some defense. Start every game. Yeah. Finish second on the team in tackles to friend of the show, uh, Johnny Rutledge. Oh, yeah. Uh, how does it feel to have your patience pay off and now you become such an integral part of the defense and getting your time? You know what? I think it was uh, it was a combination of everything. It was a combination of being able to to know and understand Coach Stoops and the defense he wanted us to, to play under. And it was it was it was also having all these other great players around us because, you know, as Johnny Rutledge led with the linebackers and Mike Peterson led with the linebackers, we, we had Ed Chester on the D line and Ed oh, yeah. Ed Chester was the a monster. Like it was nobody stopping him before, you know, his injury. His injury. Yeah. yeah. It, like he he by far if 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 Ed was would have stayed healthy, Ed would be a Hall of Famer in the NFL. <laughs> that's that's just my opinion, but I seen this man work. <laughs> and that to me says volumes about our, our our whole team and understanding that scheme on the defensive side of the ball. It made it so much easier for me to go and, and feel gas when we knew Ed was getting double teamed. It's easy for me to come downhill and, and, and get on Jamal Lewis or or, or, or Robert Edwards. You know, it, it's easy for me to get to those guys. You know, it's easy for me to, to get the highest ward knowing that I got Tico Brown over the top for me. You know, it, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot of understanding, knowing where the guys are going to be there, talking to the guys and saying, hey, you know what? You got my back. I got you. 
man, having Fred Williams a lockdown corner along with Elijah Williams. I mean, it's yeah, we didn't have we didn't have any things to worry about on that back end, keeping everything tight. And everything else was just a plus. It was just like having these guys, of course, having Javon Curse on the ends every time is a is a, is a, is a huge, huge plus. Sure. <laughs> um, but you have Reggie, you got Reggie McGrew. <laughs> I mean, we, mm-hmm. we had, we had some, some guys that, that had that dog in them on every play and they didn't care about getting tired. They didn't care about feeling fatigued. These guys went after it every single play. And it was like, I ain't going to meet you to the ball. I'm going to beat you to the ball. That was our mentality. And all of us was going to the ball. It's, it's rare that you didn't see four or five guys at the ball at every single time. It was very rare that you, if you if you only saw one guy there, it's because it was a, it was a quick screen and, and and the guy was there by himself making a play by himself. But we you're going to normally see four or five guys there every single time. And that was the way that was our mentality. We get to the ball, you know, we're not going to meet you there. We're going to beat you there. <laughs> and we have heard that about Ed Chester from other. Um, guests we've had on this show. Absolutely. Yes. A great what if. It is unbelievable. Let's move on to September 20th. Mr. Peyton Manning and the number four ranked Vols come to Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. And this happens. With one wide out to the left. Out of the shotgun. Here comes the rush. Manning backpedaling for an interception. Tony George with some running room along the near sideline. George! Copeland, the only man chance to catch him touchdown florida yeah. yes that play is actually tagged by many as being one of the greatest all-time plays in the swamp and it's still the third longest pick six in uf history yeah. and it wasn't one of those pick sixes uh-huh. where you you grab it and you just run down the sideline. No. i mean you had to make some moves I, there uh to get in the end zone yes. <laughs> uh, you you were quoted as saying it was the greatest moment of your life after that play. Yeah, and I assume there have been some larger ones since. But where would you say it ranks for you today? <laughs> you know, I, I I have to replay this this that pick in my head every day in my in my toughest moments and my moments where I, I have my my mental breakdowns and my toughest moments where my diabetes isn't going correct and my toughest moments where I feel like you know things aren't happening right in my world. That moment brings me back. And it reminds me that that greatness is in you and you have to allow it to to manifest. And the only way that that happens is if you're able to sustain the the storm. That whole drive before the drive getting to that to that point right there started off with a penalty for me. (laughs) So it was like, oh, man. And then they're driving down the field. It's hot. They're kicking catches. I mean, Marcus Nash is just was over there on Fred Weary, caught the ball. And I'm like, oh, man, these guys are about to score. And I remember looking to the sideline and, and Coach Stoops, he pointed to me and said, make a damn play. And I said, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and he looked at me. It was like he already knew that it was coming. And it was like, okay. And here I am, you know, in my curled zone space, in my, my free man space. And I'm like, and I see – there were two of the greatest ones, the quiet one, and then the, one of the best defensive tackles I've ever seen, Ed Chester and Elijah Williams, merging on Peyton Manning. And mm-hmm. and Peyton's trying to get rid of the ball and get the ball. I believe it was to, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't want to say Benji Shuler. I don't think that was him. But it, it was somebody, one of the slot receivers that was nowhere near there. And I ended up grabbing it, and I'm like, oh, 
Okay, I made a play. Now <laughs> let me get off. Let me get off to the sideline. I'm like, okay. I said, no, they go a tackle right there. Okay, cool. No, no, they go. They go another guy right there on the side. I said, you know what? Instead of going out of bounds, because I can run out of bounds, I said, oh, they're going to open it. Let me hit it. And it was like, oh, I got this. And then all of a sudden, I saw this big lineman. I said, okay, I passed the lineman. And then I saw somebody out the corner, and I, I kind of look over to my right, and I see Jermaine, Jermaine Copeland coming. I'm like, oh, man, let me go and pick it up one time. <laughs> it was just like I hit it. And it was like, man. And then when I got to about the 10-yard line, I made the point. And then I remember getting all the way across that line. And that is what reminds me in my toughest moments. Every day I try to find a time to relive that moment because that's what gets you through. Knowing that greatness prevails inside you, moments like that, uh, you got to you got to cherish them. You got to cherish them. You got to let them live. And uh, for me, I, I remember seeing Peyton Manning, I believe, in my uh, – my, my first year in the NFL, and I saw him because he, when he played with the Colts and I was with the Patriots, he looked at me and he said, well, thank goodness, at least you didn't give me, get any picks today. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, told me But uh, I remember my, him being there, and then Mike, P was on, uh, Mike Peterson was on the team as well. But, uh, yeah, I, it was just – it was such a – it's such a great memory. Manning threw a lot of picks that, that year, right? Um, his first couple of years with with the Colts, yeah, he set some records there with interceptions. Oh yeah, with the old oh, with yeah. Colts, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he Let did. Let me figure it out. It was sure like, did. wow, the smartest yeah. smartest quarterback in the game. I still call him the smartest quarterback in the game. It, it's 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 not even. I don't even think it's comparable. It's crazy. I know Tom Brady. Everybody says that, but I was on the team with Tom. He was fourth string. I remember all those wonderful things and. I watched his growth, and Tom did a great job with his growth. I still can't get over how Peyton Manning saw the whole defense and was telling everybody how the guy was going to come and how his blitz was coming, and he did it with a with an Omaha. <laughs> it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. That I've never, I never understood how everybody knew to check off of his Omaha. I, it was like the lineman knew, the running back knew. Why receiving? I'm like, how did how did y'all do that? <laughs> y'all had a completely different play. Why receivers knew to tighten down? It was like, man, how, what are y'all? I was like, they had Omaha checks that that went for the whole team, and I'm like, oh my gosh. But it was it was great to watch and be a part of. I I, I can't I can't tell you about how important that that moment is for me as I as I continue to go through life today to know that I could relive that moment at any time. Well, I got another big moment game that I'd like to get your thoughts on. So <laughs> that that year, the Gators ended up going 9-2. and two. We had a couple of tough losses to LSU yes. and, and uh, Georgia. But you do take care of FSU in the swamp, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a close one. Yes. Uh, but they were ranked number two at the time. And that game, you set your career high for tackles in, in that game with 11. Yeah. That's got to be up there on, on your all-time favorite list, I imagine, right? It is. It is. It's um, it's, it's always gratifying. And I, I remember um, my high school coach, he would always come up to me, um, and he was my defensive back coach, and he was the guy that kind of got me ready for um, – not kind of, he got me ready for going to Florida. And he reminded me, he said, dude, he's like, you know, you made the first tackle and the last tackle of the first quarter. And he said, he said, you were just all over the field the whole time. 
And I'm like, huh. I said, no, nah. I said, I didn't even think about that. But I said, like, thanks for pointing it out. He's like, no, you don't realize how big that is. He's like, that got you. He said, that's the most tackles you had in a game. And I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, well, I was just playing, right? He's like, you got to do that every time. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you set a new standard. With the mode over here. I'm like, oh, come on, coach. Yeah. I just got done playing. Let me. But he reminded me. He was like, dude, you got that in you. You can do that every play. Why aren't you doing it? I'm like, you know what? We're going we gonna to go with the team or the defense, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, it, that's that's probably one of my best, one of my best all around games because it was like I was I was covering guys and I was doing I was making the tackles as they came my way. Um, you know, I think it was Minor was the running back, Charles Minor. Man, that that kid has some he has some he had a little scat on him. <laughs> he had a crazy burst. He was pretty darn good. But you know, get a couple hits on him and you know and E. G. Green and of course P Dub, Peter Ward, like it it was it was it was good to to know that we could we can we can match up with those guys and make things happen. Well, always good to have your best game against those Seminoles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously after that game, unfortunately this year, there was no SEC championship, but you guys go on to the Citrus Bowl, knock off Penn State. Yeah. Um, obviously with the way um, the playoff system is now, um, it's a little bit different than the bowl games. What do you remember from that experience being in a bowl game, not at the stakes as the year before, but at the pageantry and the whole process? Was it still a special experience for you, a fond memory? It was absolutely uh a, a a fond memory and experience um, because you got to think that was the only thing that we knew. We only knew how to get to bowl games. And I can always remember, you know, Coach Burry saying, well, you can't spell sisters without you and T. And, That's you know, right. It, that is you right. Know, it, it's like those things sit in your head and it's like, all right, y'all, we got, we got to fight. Now, if we're here, we got to show that we're better than we're supposed to be here, you know. So we were hearing all the stuff about uh, – you know, uh, Curtis Enos and how big their running back is and things of that nature. And I said, hey, listen, I said, let them run my way. I'm going to show them exactly what time it is. And that was just, that was just my attitude. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm gutting and griming. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to give it to you whether you want it or not. And I remember him coming my way. And I was like, God, this guy's kind of big. I said, but I got to be bigger. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he just goes back. I'm like, yeah, you about to get this all day now. I'm like, true that. I'm thinking to myself in my head, man, this guy's pretty big. He's tough too. He's strong. I'm like, I gotta do this every time. Hey, Jay Wright, come help me out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was, it was, uh, it, it, it can't be emulated. It has to be something you experience. And I always tell every every guy that has a chance to play in a bowl game. You should play in a bowl game because you're never going to experience anything like it again. I'm, 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 I'm still in awe of seeing these guys able to sit out and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my chances and and and, and go with the NFL. Okay, that's fine, but guess what? You got about two or three months before you, if you get dinged up, you, you got a little time to heal. But you shouldn't be thinking that you're gonna get dinged up. You should be getting out here showing what you're capable of doing. And I think when you put things on display like that. That's why these bowl games are so important. I think that's why that was the difference with guys like us. We we wanted to we wanted to show what we were made of. We wanted to show how tough we were, how resilient, and how nothing was going to stop us. We wanted to have that. So 
that's kind of the the mentality that we had when we were going in these situations in these bowl games because we just thought that that was the highest level no matter what bowl game you played in. Do you think with the playoff system now that bowl games have actually lost luster? I think so. I, I really do. I think I think they have lost luster. I mean, the the Orange Bowl ain't like the same Orange Bowl. Uh, the Rose Bowl ain't like the same Rose Bowl. It's like these were games that were standalone games that when you played them, you were you were playing for the nugget of something great. You know what I mean? And these are the games that people live for now that everything has become so monetized, and we gotta we gotta we gotta make this the premier this that and the other it it kind of loses its luster because if you tell like like we having us play us having this playoff system now it's hard to distinguish where who's who's really a good football team because now you say okay you know if, if you're a good football team that's awesome uh if we look at tcu you're a great football team and you had that great game before and then all of a sudden you go against somebody that got a little bit of compatibility with them that 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 plays these games every week. It's like, oh, now they don't look as good. They don't look as powerful. But these guys made it to be the number four seed. What about the team that was the number six seed? What about the Cincinnati? You think Cincinnati would have gave up a better fight? What do you like? It's it's so many questions, you know. And I think the part about us when we had the game bowl games back in the day is that, you know. We already we knew who the definitive number one was. We knew who the definitive number two was. These guys, it kind of played itself out. Like you didn't have to guess and see through a playoff system. But hey, uh, we uh, you know where we when we when we came up, we knew that these these things were going to happen. We knew that these things would 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 benefit. Um, you, you know. All of the guys, all of the players, all of the teams, they would all benefit from being able to experience that one chance of going down to the Orange Bowl or that one chance of going to the Rose Bowl or that one chance of going out to Arizona and, and, and experiencing that Fiesta Bowl. Like, it's just so many wonderful elements to having those games stand alone by themselves. That's what's missing today. All right, so let's take it to 98, your last season as a Gator, redshirt senior year. Yeah. You have another stellar season, over 50 tackles, career-high four interceptions, making yeah. it eight for your Gator career. You're voted a team captain by your teammates this season. What did that mean to you? That meant the most. I, I think of all things that happened my senior year, being voted as a captain, I, that meant the most to me, um, primarily because that is a show of uh, what your hard work has is put in and, and guys respect the work that you put in. And to me, I, it, there is no, there is no higher level than, than being a captain of the team because now that means these guys can depend on you. They can lean on you and they can get an answer or they can see you bring a play to them that they could possibly learn from. That to me is, there's no bigger honor. So that, that year, the Gators again dropped two games and unfortunately missed out on the SEC championship, but you're voted first team all SEC for your dominant play that season. Yeah. Is that bittersweet for you as a player? How do you deal with kind of the team expectations versus personal goals out there on the field? It's a, it's a delicate balance. Um, I, I think that when, when the team, when the team is winning, um, it, it, it means the world to you and, Everything is just a, an added bonus 
but I, one of the things that that we that we deal with in in getting an accolade like that from the SEC is like, wow, you are considered the best of the best. That goes along with the captain penmanship that that you get, things of that nature. That goes with goes along with being a starter out on the field, and it gives other guys an inspiration that hey. If you're putting in this work like I'm putting in, you can get there too. I think I remember having uh, behind me, I had uh, two guys. I had Marquand Manuel and Rod Grady. And those two guys had to learn their tutelage from, from me being out there on the field and saying, hey, we, I had to learn to see what, 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 what Tony's doing out here because if we can learn what Tony's doing and he's, he's all SEC and, and he's a captain, I can get to that level too, and maybe take it a little bit higher. You gotta remember, I learned my—I had to learn my tools from Lawrence Wright. So it was—it's—it's it's been passed along for me to pass it along to others, and that—that—that that, that to me sure. um, is able. That—that's why it was easy for me to keep that balance. And I think that that's something that you pass along to the next guys to teach and show them that your work will take you wherever wherever you need to go. But your 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 um your your talent is part of that, and you'll get a chance to display that, and also the accolades that come along with that, if you allow that discipline to come along with you. So we, you know, it was it was really just a wonderful wonderful deal and and a wonderful balance to be able to know that, you know, uh, two losses. Some some teams are dying to only have two losses, right? But down in Florida, at the University of Florida, that is a losing season for us. <laughs> so we, we, we have to balance it and say, you know what, we got to figure this out. How do we make this happen so that this doesn't happen again? Again, as you talked about earlier, you redeem yourself in the last game, which is the bowl game. Now you make your statement. That's a great segue. I got to stop you there because I want to take it back to the FSU game. Oh uh, yeah, that last year oh. and the dust up during the pregame where you get ejected for the game and your assignment would have been, you mentioned them earlier, the dynamic Peter Warwick, one of, yes. one of the greatest college football players I think I've ever seen play. Yeah. Um, he was responsible for a couple TDs in that game. And one of the biggest conflicts I have, and I'm going to be real with you here mm-hmm. about doing this show and interviewing guys that, that we have admired, you know, watch play and tear it up on the field um, is bringing up these kind of stories that are kind of darker. I always get a conflict, you know, should I put in this question? Should I not? But no, you should I think in, in the way I want to ask you is, you know, it's just a blemish on an otherwise pretty spectacular Gator career you had. So looking back, how did you learn from that incident? It was the most important to me. It was the most important game of our season. And I, I think, and, and all of the guys know this both on Florida state, and on our team, those guys know that it wasn't me that threw the punch. Every last one of my guys can vouch for that. Every last one of Florida State guys can vouch for that. You know who didn't vouch for it? Bobby Bowden. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and and, and, and here's, what, here's the truth of the matter. When the referee came over, I was literally talking to Peter Ward, and we were talking back and forth trying to prevent the guys from, from fighting and things of that nature. We had a guy that had a one on the jersey that had another number one on the jersey. <laughs> I'm not going to say his name. That is. Uh, but <laughs> he, he comes over and he goes over top of me 
and he cracks the offensive line coach Odell Hagen. Like like a WWE clothesline? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it was exactly. I knew that that's where I knew that I knew that's exactly what he was gonna go to after I saw that, right? Uh, but no, it was like whoa, and I remember the the line judge and the referee coming over, and, and he's like. You know, the guy the guy had a number one on the jersey. The guy had number one. He said number one. I'm like, oh no, 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 not me. And I'm standing there with my hands up, like, oh no, not me, not me. And he said, no, no guy had the number one on the jersey. Uh, he was saying that there was a guy that had a number right. one on the jersey, and and Peter was standing there. Peter was looking like, like we sitting there looking at each other, like, huh? And then we break. We go to the locker room. He, he goes his way, I go my way, and we're going. I come back out, and I run out on the field like, yeah, it's about, I'm about to lock Peter Ward down. Man, that referee walks over to me. He said, number one, you're you're kicked out the game. Oh, That's it. You're done. I said, wait, what? And I, I can literally remember Coach Spurrier running over there to Coach Bowden and said, all right, come on, let's let him play. Just shake on it. Just let him play. And then my bounce like, I re- I always remember this. Bobby Bowden said, "No, no, no, no. He's out of here," because he knew that I was getting right. ready to guard Peter Ward. <laughs> he knew that, but that is the truth of the story and how it happened. And I, I think the reaction of the guys being able to see me on the sideline, and even though I was kicked out of the game, I had to go and take all my stuff off and go back and, and go back out there playing clothes, they looked and saw my demeanor. And it was never a, what was me? It was, let's go, let's go. Get yourself up. Let's go, let's go. Get ready to go. Come on, Robert, let's go. Like, it was, Doc, let's go. Like, I was still, I was still me. I just couldn't be out on the field. And it was, it was a driving force that kept us in the game for a little bit. But then they realized, you know, you know that your 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 all SEC guy ain't out there, and we need to take advantage of that, and that's what they did. You know they they did a couple short passes to Peter, short pass, short pass, now long pass got him. You know it was just one of those things. It was really unfortunate, but I think being able to pass maturity on and letting the guy see we're not going to sit on this bench, we're not going to soak, we're not going to put a towel over your head. Take this as a learning lesson. And let's go with it, and let's roll with it. And then if we got one more game, let's show them how it's done the next game. I think I was so fired up by the time I got out of that game. I was, I was, I was intense. I, I came home. I was only home for two days. I don't even think I stayed to Christmas. I said I want to get back because I got to get ready for this bowl game. You know, that was me. That was, and my parents understood it. He was like, "Go redeem yourself." I said, "I will." <laughs> You know, and that's that's what led to that moment. But I think the guys being able to see that I was not going to let that deject me. I wasn't going to let that keep me down. I was not going to let that hold me back. I was going to keep pushing, keep going, keep driving. That's about as well as you could possibly handle it. Yes, sir. Um, and, and you mentioned you come back and uh, have some success there in that final bowl game against a, a fairly decent Donovan McNabb-led uh, Syracuse team. Yes. And then, of course, you go on and get drafted in the third round um, by the Patriots. Um, you get to go up to the cold New England, pre-title <laughs> time there in New England with Pete Carroll. 
Um, what what were your impressions of Pete Carroll coming off of like a, such a hard nosed defensive coach and big game Bob Stoops? Yeah, it's more of like a lovey dovey player coach and Pete Carroll, or is that kind of overplayed? Is he kind of a tough guy too? No. What, how do you remember that experience? <laughs> it was it was night and day. Um, I tell people, I say, you know, it's it's, it's difficult when you make that type of money. And then you have that type of a coach with Pete Carroll. It's like, man, we can pretty much get away with anything here, huh? Yeah. All right. There's a lot of USC Trojans who feel that way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like we, but Pete Carroll did a great job of have, letting us be men. He, he gave us the responsibility to, of being men. He put us in position and he said, hey, you guys are done with me at, at 4, 430. You guys have the rest of this time to go home, rest your body, spend time with your families, do what you need to do. Don't be all out here in these streets doing crazy stuff. Don't be calling Frank to come and bail you out over here, state troopers. Like, he he had it. He knew what we were going to do. But he was like, don't do that. I'm going to give you a chance to experience it, but do it reasonable. You know, don't don't let that come back to hunt us as an organization because if it comes back to us, we're going to have to get rid of you, you know? And it was like, huh, okay, that's cool. Understood. And, and it was pretty lax all the way around there. And again, I had, I had great veteran leadership there. We had Bruce Armstrong, great offensive tackle. We had our Max Lane, another great offensive tackle. We had obviously Drew Bledsoe, uh, great quarterback. We had, Willie McGinnis, who just ran up on some hard times, and Lawyer Malloy, Ty Law, Hall of Fame guy. Ben like, Coates. Yeah, Ben Coates. Man, that's one of my guys right there. That was a guy that I, I didn't ever think I was going to ever be able to guard him, but <laughs> it'll work it out. <laughs> but Ben, ben Coates is a big body guy. like it, But just as respectable guys, they treat you, they treat you just like their brother, like a little brother coming in and Hey, you're going to have to learn these ropes. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to study your playbook. You're going to have to learn the terminology. Okay, now let's go hang out. You're going to owe us a whole dinner tonight. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you're taking us all out tonight. Wait, uh, wait, I'm doing what? Yeah, 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 go ahead and... um, Go ahead and make the reservation for us. It's gonna be for uh, for ten. I'm like, what? For what? For who? <laughs> for what? Everybody paying for themselves, right? No, no, no. You taking care of it? Oh, okay. So you're in you're in New England for a couple seasons, and you have stops in Carolina and yeah. Tennessee. What are some of your fonder memories of playing in the league? Oh man, it's um, I, I think it was um, I probably learned the the best and the most underneath um, Coach Bilicek. Uh He was he was a drill sergeant. <laughs> he was the exact opposite of Pete Carroll, but I learned so much in, in, in how to be uh, respectable and how to be a solid player and how to learn from your mistakes. Um, Bilicek taught us that. He taught, he taught you that. He, he, he was drill sergeant, but he was the same way with every single person, which is what I love quarterback they got the same type of slacking that we got (laughs) you know and I think that was probably one of my biggest moments so by the time I got ready to hit Carolina and also hit the Tennessee Titans I was back to a player's coach with Jeff Fisher (laughs) and Jeff Fisher was a a kind of a mixture of you know I'm a disciplinarian but you know I also played so I understand what you're going through 
<laughs> you know, and it was, I, I think, being able to understand the dynamic of coaching um, was, was probably my fondest memory of seeing how things went from one extreme to the other extreme and still produce a championship caliber type of type of player. So I think that um, being able to see that, uh, that transition, um, watching Tom Brady go from fourth string to starter um, and, and become the, the great, the GOAT, you know, I, I think that says a lot about the toolage of, of Coach Bilicek. And it says a lot about the, the work ethic of a Tom Brady. And I think that you have to learn that balance in, you know, in between all the, the madness and the hoopla and the craziness, because we, I do remember at practice where Tom Brady couldn't complete out routes, you know, he was getting picked off by Todd Law. He got picked off by me twice. And it, you know, I remember Bill check looking and saying, stop it right there. Hold it. Everybody go stay after. Mm-hmm. And it was just like very monotone. You're going to complete this out route. <laughs> And he's standing out there with a guy by the name of Sean Morey. And Sean was like, uh, all right, I'll catch these balls. You just keep throwing them. And I don't think Sean dropped another ball. I don't think Sean dropped the ball. But I also don't remember uh, uh, Brady being picked off anymore after that. <laughs> I bet you wish you would have kept those balls you picked off of Brady, huh? Man, I certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> certainly do, my goodness. <laughs> but it was uh, that was great, though. It was awesome. I tell you that the the the, the camaraderie to, to the coaching to seeing the progression of a of a great, I mean you, you can only you can only imagine what that looks like at the beginning and then to see where it is today it's like wow. So after the stops in Carolina Tennessee you call it a career, but I'd kind of venture to say maybe you were just getting started. You went on to receive your doctorate in divinity in 2015. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that that you you had spiritual parents. Um, yeah. Were you spiritual, or was that something you kind of discovered later in life? I was very spiritual. I had to be. Um, I, I believed wholeheartedly in, in, in God and the way that it was supposed to be and the way it was supposed to happen. Um, I think the one difference for me is that I was able to channel, channel my aggression at, to a spirited aggression. Well, I, well, I, was, I always call it a spirited aggression. I said, but I tell everybody, I said, not even an aggression. I said I just let the holy, I let the Holy Spirit take over me, and and give me the the the, the power to do what I'm supposed to do. And I could, because I know it's in me. I know what my my mom and dad have raised me on, and knowing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and keeping that thing moving, and keeping keeping everything in due bounds, and making sure that I keep myself in a respectable way. Um, but I've always been spiritual. I've I've always had an anointing on me to do the right thing and it really it really played into everything that um i i'm I'm becoming and have become and it it continues to to work for um work work me towards a a better place even as we move forward today so yeah i mean spirituality it runs in me well you're definitely a busy man today uh you have your own fitness company heat pro fitness you're a certified master trainer, certified strength and conditioning specialist. And I see on social media, you obviously train people. Do you have any aspiration to get back into college football, maybe as a strength and conditioning coach? I have. It's crossed my mind a time or two. But then I started realizing that, you know, I've, I've helped 141 kids get scholarships. And I, I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up yet. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure that I give every 
kid an opportunity to understand how to build work ethic the proper way. And um, to be honest with you, I, like I, I told I told my wife this probably about three years ago, I said, I feel more confident that I need to be right here helping these kids understand work ethic because right now it's a missing element. Social media has given us a presence to think that we can just show up and do it. So I want to make sure that I, the kids that come through my, my toolage is that I, I want to show them that there's nobody that's going to be able to outwork my kids or outrun out, out my kids, outstrengthen my kids, or just outintelligence my kids. You're not going to be able to do that. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have every element of the game set ready to roll when they come through the program. You also started your own foundation, Patriotic Mentoring for Youth and Young Adults. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how people can find out about it online? I got Patriotic Mentoring, but it's been, I've actually gotten a nonprofit now that's called Trinity X Pharmacy. Trinity X Pharmacy is, uh, is, is a rehabilitation farm in which we grow 17 fruits, 15 vegetables, but we're helping people with traumatic injury of the brain and body. So we're talking about our... Um, our, our our NFL players. We're talking about our our soccer players. We're talking about our our uh, veterans when they come back from from tours. Um, we're providing rehabilitative programs for them, and um, we're going to focus on uh, trying to get a huge piece of land that we're we're in the process of dealing with, and and hopefully we can get um, a lot of these people back on and focus into the norm. The, back into the norms of society by teaching them how to nurture these fruits and vegetables. Okay, Tony, let's end with this. We usually do a bit to end the show. We have different kinds of bits. We haven't done a Mount Rushmore in a bit, and you're a defensive back, and it's DBU. So I think it's time we do the Mount Rushmore of defensive backs. So go ahead, Tony George. you got to pick four guys to put up on the University of Florida DBU, Mount Rushmore. Who are they? Ooh. This is uh, a tough one. Yep. <laughs> Four. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, let me let me start off. I gotta be fair. I gotta be fair first. You know. So let me let me think about. All right. I I I would love this first pick because it was a consummate All American. I uh, gotta go with Fred Weary. Okay. Um. Yeah, Fred Weary on there is number one. Great choice. Um, number two, I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, I'm gonna say Reggie Nelson. Oh, good pick. Another great choice. Um, and then my my last two, I gotta say for kind of our our, our hitter slash slashers, uh, gotta go with my Thorpe Witter, my biggest mentor, Lawrence Wright. Okay. And I would throw myself up there, but I'm being biased. But I gotta put Lito Shepard up there. Yo, I was wondering if you were gonna say him or not. Yes, I gotta get Lito up there. Uh, It's just I would I would I wouldn't be doing any justice if I didn't put Lito up there. Um, I like and I had an honorable mention I gotta put up there. I I like I like little Vernon Hargrave. Oh, VH3, that's right. Yeah, very good. Yeah, Yeah. I like I like Vernon. I like the way he played. Um, Vernell Brown was nice, but I you know. I got, I got, I got to go with the guys that I know that will make the play when the play needs to be made. Absolutely, no Joe Hayden love. Well, it's hard to only pick four. 
It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. I love, I love, I love Joe, man. But uh, you know, it's those those four right there. I know a play can be made, like without without hesitation. And and Joe could too now. But you gotta have a couple yeah. of your guys on the list, right? Yeah, yeah. I gotta put some guys from my area in there, though. Seriously. That's right. All right. So Tony George's Mount Rushmore defensive backs: Fred Weary, Reggie Nelson, Lawrence Wright, and Lito Shepard. Yes. Good job. All right. Tony, George, it's been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for taking the time. You've been more gracious with your time with us today. So thank you very much. We appreciate it, man. We had a great time. Well, thank you guys for having me. I enjoyed this thoroughly. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much. Great perspective. Great stories. This was a lot of fun. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you so much. Man, what a great guy. You know, we get a lot of players on the show, but this one is definitely uh, just a really good guy. Yeah, a lot of passion, man. A lot of passion. Clearly a smart guy, academic All-American, earner his doctorate after he played. So uh, very impressive in, in many ways. Yep. And Wikipedia, you know, in my crack research, <laughs> says he's on the board of a record label. He's a CEO of two companies and and everything else that we'd mentioned. You know, we didn't have time to bring everything up. But, yep. you know, what we did is is enough yeah. to, <laughs> for, yep. for yeah, three sure. people, uh, let alone one. For real. So why don't we go to our two bits? Right. Who wants to kick it off? And I know I have to go last, so so I'll just go with whatever you guys, uh, scraps you leave me with. <laughs> For those listening that aren't sure what Sid's talking about is, we make him go last, because when he gives us two bits, which is our takeaway from the interview that we just did, uh, he sort of rattles on and on, and it's very detailed and in-depth and and very well said. I hog the buffet. There's nothing left for them. Yeah. There's nothing left for us. We just have the scraps. You've been here four hours. You go home now. <laughs> so we make them go last. I'm going to kick it off. My two bits was Tony George in practice naming about eight receivers that all burned him on plays <laughs> one after another, every receiver on the roster. <laughs> and Spurrier comes up to him and says, Are you sure you're an All-American? He did a great Spurrier impression. <laughs> he actually did it with a great Spurrier voice. Yeah, better than me. <laughs> he was pretty solid on the Stoops impression, too, for that matter. Yeah, it was. And which, you know, in turn made him be more dedicated and, and work out more and harder and come back a, a better player. So that was a, my two bits. Nice. Good job, John. All right. I'm between two. I'm going to go with the more fun one. Uh, I love the story about the recruiting in the Tennessee and how he announced. I loved how he said, told Tennessee, um, you're going to see me in your stadium. They got all hyped up. And then he said, <laughs> but I'm going to Florida. I'm coming to wreck it. That was awesome. And then he put on the gator hat. I love <laughs> That's it. That's right. I love it. That was pretty great. That's awesome. That was mine. Good one. Yeah, here we go. I got a big one for you. I did appreciate... His reference to Ron Zook and many of the players when Zook was the head coach clearly had an affection for him and it was obvious uh, that Tony had it too. But that's not my two bit. I was actually very interested in his Monday night football story. I'd actually never heard that. And what a cool idea of Coach Spurrier to replicate the experience of the game day, have the lights on. They called it the Monday night football. He ended the practice with the big hit. That's cool. And I don't remember any of our other friends of the show sharing that experience. So I felt like I got a little bit um, behind the curtain there and what it was like um, and stuff on how they prepare for the exciting games on Saturday. So a uh, little caveat on the coolness of Zook, but my two bit was the Monday Night Football story. I dug that. That's awesome. One of the best parts of doing the show 
is uncovering these little tidbits that, Absolutely. you know, to the peek behind the curtain, like you said, that we would just never know is not, you know, never have been a player anywhere in college, uh, let alone UF. And to find out about these stories is pretty damn cool. That's the kind of insight you can only find here on the All for Gators podcast. Mark, that's the promo. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, let's end with this, guys. Let's do a March bracket challenge. Uh-oh. Okay. Today's guest was a defensive back. Our next, well, hopefully our next guest is also a defensive back. We had to reschedule, so hopefully we can get him rescheduled soon. A pretty damn good one, right? Uh, by the way. So why don't we do a king of DBU? Are we going to get some angry? Uh, yes, we angry? are. Okay, good. <laughs> that's that's all I care about. Someday Andy and I will get on social media and see all the angry fans out there and all of their feedback. <laughs> <laughs> we will do the angry post segment again. Angry I like post. that. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so look for that online social media, our March bracket challenge, king of DBU. It'll be the defensive backs from the University of Florida. And uh, we'll put them on social media. They'll vote and like, and that'll set the seating. Then they'll go head to head. And dislike. And dislike. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Great show today, guys. Uh, Great guest today. And looking forward to the next one, as always. Definitely. And uh, we'll end. Gators. Hey. All right. Jump right up the gun. You just jump right in front of you. You're stepping all over me, Sid. I stepped on your moment. Didn't you learn anything in radio school? (laughs) Man, I did go to radio school, didn't I? (laughs) All right. Let's try this again. You ready? Go ahead, Sid. Go Gators! Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators.